You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, My name's Len. I'm part of the leadership team here at Hope Church. And I want to give you a very warm welcome to our online offering here. Um, If you're watching this on YouTube for the first time, an especially warm welcome. And um, I don't know about you, but uh, in this lockdown situation we're in, um, I find myself thinking about things. And uh, one of the things I've been thinking about is the fact that for a good number of years now, there have been certain things that I've said to myself, I'll do this when I've got more time. It might be job around the house, it might be, you know, I'm going to write a book or whatever it might be. And what I've found is that I've got all this time and these jobs just aren't getting done. So I'm kind of learning about myself in this process. And so as we talk about the resurrection, uh, I just wonder if maybe we all might learn something about ourselves. Maybe you're watching this and thinking, well, I've always thought at one time, you know, if I had more time, I would think about Jesus and his death and his resurrection, well, guess what? This is the time to do it. And Tom was speaking about the resurrection last week, and I make no apologies for talking about it again in more detail, because Easter eggs have sell-by dates, um, hot cross buns have sell-by dates, but the message of the resurrection does not have a sell-by date. And of course, you can't really talk about the resurrection unless you talk about the death that preceded it. And um, you might think it's a bit odd at a time like this when people are avoiding talking about death, for me to be talking about death. But there is an inevitability. Um, We are born, we live, and we die. That is our life for uh, however long that might be. And the fact of the matter is that For a Christian, death is not something to be feared. Now, we don't take unnecessary risks. We're not gung-ho about it. We don't put ourselves in harm's way. Um, But equally, it's not something we should be fearful about. And uh, the American president, Benjamin Franklin, uh, in 1789, he made a comment that to this day is still used. I use it when I am teaching about equity and trust. He said this, he said, our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. And this morning, I want to tell you, I want to explain to you that as Christians, we should not be fearful of death. Why? Because there is a certain hope that we have as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reason I'm talking about death first and then the resurrection is a bit like if you go to a jeweler's shop, you might have looked in the window of a jeweler's shop and you might have seen these amazing jewels, these diamonds. And very often, they are set against a black background. It's often a satin cloth. And the reason they're set against the black background is so that they shine to their absolute best. 
And against this black background of death, the resurrection is the jewel in the crown of God's love for us, for every single one of us. And what about death and resurrection? How can we be so sure about this? Because there are many millions of people who've made a commitment to Jesus on the basis of his death and resurrection. So I want to take you through some of the evidence that exists, both in the Bible and elsewhere, on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm a lawyer. My whole career has been spent gathering evidence, examining evidence, presenting evidence. And evidence comes in various forms and in various qualities. And I remember when I was uh, uh, a young solicitor, that was obviously a very long time ago, um, a lady came to see me and she wanted a divorce. And um, I explained to her that she needed evidence to present to a court because that was the law in those days. And she said, I will go away and I will get the evidence for you. And she didn't say what she was going to do or how she was going to do it, but she came back some weeks later and I remember she put a Tesco's carrier bag on my desk. And I was obviously a little bit concerned to know what might be in there. And I tentatively opened the bag. And inside, there was a number of broken eggshells, which I thought was quite strange evidence. And I said, what's this then? And she said, well, I'm convinced my husband is having an affair in the back of his van. He's got a works van and there's a carpet in the back. So what I did was I um, boiled some eggs, I carefully took the middle out and I put the shells whole underneath the carpet. And two or three days later I checked, they're all broken. And I said, well, that's not going to be the sort of evidence that is going to convince the court that your husband's committed adultery if that's his work van and that's where he keeps all his tools. But what about evidence of death? One of the evidences we have for someone's death very often is there is a gravestone. You go to a graveyard, there are many, many, many gravestones denoting that someone has died. That is evidence of death. And there is one uh, gravestone that is in uh, Woolwich that um, I'm aware of that is evidence of the death of someone. And on the gravestone, it says this. It says, sacred to the memory of Major James Brush, Royal Artillery, because Woolwich is very famous for its uh, military connections, who was killed by the accidental discharge of a pistol by his orderly, by his servant. 14th of April, 1831. And then, as is often the case uh, in those days, underneath, chiselled out in stone, is a Bible verse. And the Bible verse, in this case, was, well done, good and faithful servant. So that might not have been an entirely appropriate um, scripture, but it was evidence that someone had died. But what is the evidence that Jesus had died? Because, you see, Jesus wasn't accidentally killed by his orderly who fired a pistol at him. Jesus was deliberately executed by the Romans. And the Romans had been doing this for many years and they were very good at it. In fact, it was so barbaric that a um, hundred or so years later, after Jesus was crucified, they banned it because it was just too barbaric. Um, but before Jesus was crucified, 
he would have been flogged. I'm not going to go into the details of the flogging, but suffice to say that many people died from the flogging alone. And the Romans left nothing to chance. If you were sentenced to be crucified, you were a dead person walking. No one ever survived. And after Jesus was flogged, he was nailed to a cross. Now, when I was younger, I just assumed that the nails through the hands or the wrists or through the feet were the reason that he died. It was only um, when I investigated a bit further, I realized it wasn't that at all. Um, because Jesus, along with everyone else who was crucified, would have suffocated. And the reason that he would have suffocated is because you need to breathe. And in order to breathe, you need to raise your chest up. And if you're on a cross, you can only do that by pulling up on your arms so that your chest will work, but you're taking your whole body weight. And nobody can do that for too long. So you then have to use your feet. And the process makes you very, very weak. And if the person doesn't look as if they're dying quickly enough, the Romans would often break their legs so they couldn't use their legs to raise them up. But Jesus didn't have his legs broken. He died on the cross. And they, to make sure, they thrust a spear into his side, under his rib cage, through his body, into his heart. And blood and this serum came flowing down, Jesus most definitely died. There were Romans there who would have known what a dead body looks like. And if they had taken him down and he wasn't dead, they would have suffered the consequences. So he died. But the question is, why did he die? People die all the time. We're born, we live, we die. People die horrible, unjust deaths. But why did Jesus die? Well, one of Jesus' followers called Paul says that Jesus died for our sins. We're all sinners. We've sinned against the holy God and we deserve to die. Someone has to pay the penalty of sin. We've all fallen short of God's glory and God's expectations. And for us, myself included, we're all sinners. We are absolutely guilty as charged. And we are the ones that should be up there on that cross for our sins. But the Bible says God so loved the world that he sent his son who died as a substitute for us. He paid the penalty for our sin. And he rose again to forgive sin and to conquer death. And in so doing, he took away the human problem of sin and eliminated our final enemy, the grave. So that's why we can look at death, think that it is horrible, but at the same time, we have this jewel in the crown, which is that our final enemy, the grave, has been conquered. And what this means is that when I think of death, when I think of the cross, when I think that I should suffer, I don't have to because it's been done by Jesus as a substitute on my behalf. A famous Christian reformer called um, Martin Luther once said, we all have Jesus's nails in our pockets because 
We're all responsible for his death. But I'm not going to die that kind of death. I deserve to, but I'm not going to die that kind of death. I'm not going to face that kind of eternal judgment and separation from God. Why? Well, that's the good news. Because Jesus died for our sins. He died in my place. This is very good news, provided he did rise again. So I want to consider his death. Now we're moving on to his burial. Another thing that this follower of Jesus called Paul said is that he was buried. He died and was buried. We know that his body was taken off the cross. We know it was put in a tomb. And we know that a stone, a gravestone, was rolled across it. Rather like the example we used earlier, there was a gravestone to mark the death. And we know this because it says so in the Bible. And Jesus, who was born homeless, didn't have a tomb of his own. He was lent one by one of his followers. And the Bible says that this large stone was rolled across the front of it. And that signified that there was a dead body inside. And it guaranteed that no one would come and tamper with the body. But other things happened as well. There was a seal of the Roman government put across the grave stone. And this ensured nobody would come and tamper with the body of Jesus because they would be answerable to the Roman authorities. And as we've seen, the Roman authorities could be absolutely brutal. And to further guarantee that the body wouldn't be tampered with, they posted a guard to make sure the body wasn't stolen. So Jesus most definitely died and he most definitely was buried. And now, today, we're focusing on the death over 2,000 years ago now, which is, was marked by a stone which was rolled away as evidence of his resurrection. Now, let me say straight away, as a lawyer, an empty tomb is not the best evidence of a resurrection. It is circumstantial, but it's not the best evidence. The best evidence comes from eyewitnesses. And I just want to take you through some passages in the Bible, in the New Testament, that talk about the eyewitnesses that saw Jesus resurrected. And if you want, you can count with me. Um, I can tell you this, you won't have enough fingers and toes, but we'll try. So the first person to see him alive is Mary Magdalene. Tom referred to her last week. He then appeared to Mary, the mother of James, and Mary Magdalene again in Jerusalem. He appeared to two travellers on the road to Emmaus near Jerusalem. He appeared to Peter in Jerusalem. And he appeared to the eleven in Jerusalem. I've already run out of fingers. He appeared to seven of his disciples in Galilee. He appeared to the eleven in Galilee. He appeared to more than 500. So it doesn't matter how many fingers and toes you've got. There are 500 in one go. And then he appeared to James. Okay? All eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus was no longer on the cross and was no longer 
in the tomb. And the key thing to this is to remember that Jesus appeared to different people at different times in different locations and all in a period of 40 days. And this bears witness to the fact that this wasn't a spirit or a ghost because they saw him, they could touch him, they could eat with him, they could drink with him. This was a real person with a real body and his appearance was designed to demonstrate and remove any doubt that he had in fact risen from the dead. But the question is, what do we do with this evidence? I said earlier that uh, one of the things we might want to think about in this time that we have is, what is my position on the death and resurrection of Jesus? Maybe we can learn something about ourselves in this process. Because, members of the jury, I have a question to ask you. Having heard all the evidence, who do you say Jesus is? C.S. Lewis, the author of the Tales of Narnia and um, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, said this about the idea that Jesus could be seen as just a good man. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a par with the person that said he was a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come up with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He didn't intend to. So if you still believe that Jesus was a good man, then um, I guess I've just kept you entertained for 30 minutes on a lockdown Sunday. And you're free to go on your way and face the uncertain future without God and without Jesus. But what about the documentary evidence and the eyewitness evidence about the resurrection? If this is right, how does it affect us? Okay. In order to answer that question, we need to ask the question, why is the resurrection such a big deal? And the resurrection is central to what Christians believe. No resurrection, no Christianity. It's as simple as that. And this follower of Jesus called Paul wrote a letter to the Christian church in a place called Corinth in Greece. And uh, this is what the message version of the Bible says. If there's no resurrection, there's no living Christ. And face it, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is just smoke and mirrors. And everything you state your life on is smoke and mirrors. Not only that... 
but we would be guilty of telling a string of barefaced lies about God. All these affidavits we passed on to you, verifying that God raised up Christ, sheer fabrications. If there's no resurrection, if corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't, because he was indeed dead. And if Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection because they're already in their graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. So the resurrection is life and death to Christians. And if it's true, the ripples of that event have spread out from the cross at Calvary to us right here, right now. And the reality is, because of the resurrection, we can face physical death without fear. Why? Through the resurrection, Jesus has secured new life for us. A new life like his new life. A sort of resurrection takes place in us when we accept Jesus as our saviour. It's not our physical bodies that change. I wish it was, but it's not. It's a total inner man or inner woman change. A new spiritual life that we have in Christ. It's in our spirit that we're made alive with new resurrection power. And the thing to remember is that the resurrection provides the assurance that death is not the end. For the Christian, it's not the end of things, but we too will be raised and given a glorious body like his. Listen to what this a follower of Jesus called Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. There's your jewel in the crown. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So the key factor is not whether you're over 70 with underlying health conditions or whether you are at the peak of physical fitness in your 20s. That's no longer the issue. The fact, the issue is this. Are you in Christ? Have you been born again? If the answer to that is no, and you'd like the answer to be yes, then I want to encourage you. I'm just going to pray a very short, simple prayer. And if it's convenient for you to pray that where you are, then why not do it now? If not, why not watch this again uh, and pray the prayer later? Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong. I ask for your forgiveness and that you would help me turn away 
from everything I know to be wrong. Thank you for dying on the cross for me so that I can be forgiven and be set free and be in Christ. Thank you that because of your resurrection, sin and death no longer have a hold on me because I have been forgiven and set free. Amen. Now, if you've prayed that prayer, we would love you to get in touch with us. At the bottom of uh, the screen, you'll see uh, an email address of the church. You can email us there, and we would love to hear from you. We would love to support you and encourage you, maybe give you some uh, books to read or put you in touch with someone. But if you don't feel that's appropriate, then I would urge you to tell someone, at least tell someone of the commitment that you've made, that you're now in Christ, that you're now a new creation. But what about for those of us who are Christians? Some like me have been Christians for a very long time. What's the resurrection mean to us? Well, the resurrection is the identifiable point in time where God broke into history with the full power of the kingdom of the age to come. It's the age to come. It's, it's not here yet. God has broken in. We're in that sort of in-between stage where uh, we can sense and feel and use and have the power of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus has not returned yet. I don't know about you, but one of the downsides of having a lot of time on my hands, as well as thinking, perhaps overthinking sometimes, is that uh, I can be tempted to watch too much social media, to watch too much television. And uh, I'm finding that there is a proliferation, an exponential growth, if you like, of well-meaning, but sometimes a bit weird, a bit wacky, um, spiritual advice, which if we're not careful, if we don't weigh it carefully, we can think, oh, this sounds about right. I've, I think I've read this somewhere. And we need to be wise, and we need to look at what is happening in the world around us in the context of the Bible. And in the context of the Bible, Jesus told his disciples that even the angels in heaven don't know when the kingdom of the age to come is coming. He told them, quite frankly, even he doesn't know. Only God knows. Which means that I don't know. And with the greatest respect, it means you don't know either. But whilst it's not very fruitful to think, you know, is it happening now? What it is fruitful to do is whether it's happening or not, and I don't think what we see in books like Revelation is what is happening now. This is not that, but this is a type of that. What we can usefully do is to live each day of our life as though Jesus might return tomorrow. That, I think, would be very fruitful for us. So that's in the context of the Bible. Also, think about the context of world events. It is horrific and a tragedy that people are dying. I think the number currently uh, of deaths around the world is 135,000 and rising, which is awful. And our hearts go out to those people who are left without loved ones. But in the context of life... There are 9 million people dying every single year from hunger 
and hunger-related diseases. There are 2,000 children every day dying of diarrhoea. And this state of affairs has not been going on for two or three months. This has been going on for years. And we don't see those figures on our TV screens, uh, but that too is totally appalling. Uh, and, you know, 135,000 people dying does not signify the end of this age and the heralding of the age to come. And so we need to respond to these things with spiritual and biblical maturity. Let's not be fearful at this time, even in the face of death, but equally, let's not be gung-ho. Let's be wise and set a good example because the world is watching us. There's no doubt about that. It's watching us to see how we handle setbacks, to see how we handle problems and difficulties. And we know that being a Christian is not an assurance of an easy life. And we know that because Jesus, the Son of God, did not have an easy life. He came to earth as a man. He was fully man and fully God. And his life demonstrates that. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was tired. He felt pain. He felt pity for people. He was tempted, but he never gave in to temptation. And we see this starkly revealed in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus... In terms of the narrative, the cross, as it were, is on the horizon and he's walking towards it. And the Bible describes how he and his disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to take on sin, as we've said, for us and to die for us. And the Bible says in Matthew 26, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And then a few verses later, we read this. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. What this shows us that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in the midst of the greatest trial of his life, when he could have said to his Father in heaven, Father, get me out of this. What he says is, Father, get me through this. And all of us are going to face trials and hardships at this time and in the future. And our prayer should always be, your will be done. Father, get me through this. We don't have a VIP priority ticket. Um, we will face all kinds of trials and tribulations. But God is with us. And the resurrected power of the Jesus Christ is going to help us there. So I mentioned a few things that I'd been thinking of in lockdown when I had time on my hands. And maybe for us, we could ask God this question. Father, what do you want from our lives? Let's pray that we'll hear God's voice and we'll seek him for guidance. Why don't we intentionally set aside some time for that each day? And why don't we pray for a new normal? The church continues, our mission continues, hope continues. And let's pray continually for our broken world because it is broken. And each week he looks more and more broken. But we shouldn't be despairing. 
we should remember what the jewel in the crown is, the resurrection, the power that that brings to us when we pray. I saw a comment on social media which said, um, let's not say we can't wait for things to get back to normal because normal wasn't working. And you've only got to pause and think about this broken world. Normal wasn't working. So why don't we pray for a new normal? Why don't we pray for the rule and reign of Jesus Christ to be abundantly obvious in our town, in our county, in our country, and in this world? Let's pray that this message that we have of hope, death, and resurrection will change people's lives. And so um, next week, Tom is going to be continuing our series from Luke. And it would be great if you want to join us. It'll be on YouTube. And uh, it'll be great to hear from you if uh, you want to uh, reply to the message at the bottom of the page earlier on. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.